Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to another episode of Injured Reserve Podcast with your host, me, myself, and I, Mitchell Anderson. So the news just broke. Ezekiel Elliott, $45 million guaranteed to the Dallas Cowboys. Six years, 90 mil overall altogether. Without a shadow of a doubt, making him the highest running back, or excuse me, highest paid running back in the NFL. I told y'all on my previous episode, I apologize for being two weeks and some change late <coughs> since my last podcast, but nonetheless, I, didn't, I even predicted it. I'm like, if they want to keep Zeke, he has to be the highest paid running back in the NFL over Todd Gurley, over David Johnson, over Le'Veon Bell. And sure enough, Jerry had to make it happen. Whether he likes it or not, <laughs> Cowboys are just mediocre without him. They're 4-4 four and four without him. They average less than four yards of carry. They, you know, they they don't. Even, they average less than twenty points a game without him. They they run that offense through Zeke, whether they want to admit it or not. They don't run it through Tony Pollard. <laughs> Every Dallas fan can try and convince themselves this and that that will be all right. You know, we got Dak. Dak is solid. Dak is okay. He's just a good quarterback. He can get the job done, but. You know, truth be told, he's just he's just a decent quarterback. He's he's more of a tier three, if anything. He's just decent. It's not he's not worth the forty million dollar guarantee that he's looking for. You know, he's just one of those quarterbacks that's just he's okay. He's a Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's a Matthew Stafford. He's on that type of level. I know a lot of Lions fans out there are gonna be in an uproar, no pun intended. But truth be told, I've been saying this, Matthew Stafford is way overpaid, and for that kind of contract, he is overrated. You look at his resume, his stats are okay, but they're not great. You know, that kind of contract worth of money, he's never been in an MVP caliber conversation. He's not the best quarterback in the division. That's Aaron Rodgers. And hell, I I could possibly make a pick. Make a case that Mitchell Trubisky could be possibly slightly better than Matthew Stafford. But nonetheless, <laughs> Lions fans will never admit that. And it is what it is. He's, you gotta look at his playoff resume. He's 0 3. Not one W yet. But. That's uh, you know, that's the Detroit way, and that's how they manage things. But to jump back on Dallas, Dallas. Hey, if I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, I'd be pretty hyped about it. I mean, as I said before, Dallas is 28 and 12 with Ezekiel Elliott in that lineup. They build that offense through him. That's why they paid their linemen the big bucks. So. No, no Zeke, no playoffs. Now that you got Zeke his money, hey, you got a chance of making the playoffs now. They Dallas went from being six and ten to about ten and six, eleven and five, to possibly win the division. 
The only team they really got to look out for is Philly. And I don't think Philly's that big of a worrisome, to be honest. Carson Wentz is he's injury prone. He's going to be the next Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck announced his retirement. Not even 30 yet. 29 years of age. Seven years in the league. Six, seven years, give or take. Pro Bowls. Wins comeback player of the year. And <laughs> following to the season, Andy could possibly make a pace of making to the ship. And then he retires <laughs> with, what, less than a playoff, or excuse me, preseason game to go. That's uh, that's rough, but <laughs> it is what it is. Andy fans, I do not agree with y'all booing this man on the field. It, NFL fans failed to realize is that player, <laughs> these players are more than, they, we forget that players are human beings as well. And Andrew Luck obviously is going through some mental issues. It's more than just the physical pain that he's been put on his body. Indy fans need to realize that their management failed to protect, you know, the golden child. Andrew Luck was getting his ass kicked all his career since he came to Indy. Once Peyton left and they started, you know, rebuilding, they didn't rebuild that line. Jeff Saturday was old. He was gone. Along with everyone else with Peyton Manning. <laughs> the Indy was starting to rebuild and they didn't rebuild their O-line. Andrew Luck was having a torn ACL, a messed up shoulder, hips, the whole nine. You got to protect your quarterback. If you want to pay this man the big bucks, you got to pay your lineman the big money as well. But he retired and Andy, hey, have fun in that 4-12 and season. Because y'all failed to protect your biggest asset in the hardest position ever in any other sport is the quarterback position. Hands down. <laughs> so Andrew Luck, I wish him the best. I wish him well. I wish him the best of luck. No pun intended. I wish him, you know, a full recovery. I think it's temporary. I think he just needs a year away from the game. As I said before, I don't think it's, you know, physical. It's more mental. He's just drained right now. And I think, I truly, genuinely believe he'll be back within a year. So, <coughs> not, so with that being said, a <laughs> whole bunch of things been going on. And this previous, this past week, I've uh, been pretty nuts. Michigan uh, beating Middle Tennessee, Bama rolling, Duke, <coughs> Ohio State doing their thing, making a strong case, Oklahoma, uh, Jalen Hurts making this case for the Heisman, strong possibility there, Notre Dame struggled a little bit in the first half against Louisville on Monday night, so the first week of the books. And college football finally end. Thank God, football especially back. Professional starts this upcoming Sunday, so the Lions do uh, first week one again facing another rookie quarterback. We all know how that went when they had a rookie quarterback on Monday night prime time in Detroit, and Sam Darnold just lit them up. So that being said. Got a few things to discuss. I'm going to discuss my Wolverines. 
tell y'all how I'm not really impressed by them and how I'm cause for concern for when they face this upcoming week against the Army Black Knights, and let me tell you why. With that being said, I'm going to take a quick little break. You are, are listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Injured Reserve Podcast. So my Michigan Wolverines had, you know, this quote-unquote tune-up game against Middle Tennessee. And truth be told, I really wasn't that impressed. You know, Middle Tennessee putting up 20 points, it should have never gotten that far. Granted, the last touchdown was junk, so I'll give him that. Shea Patterson looked, you know, three passing touchdowns, not too shabby. Making his early case for a run at the Heisman as well. I don't think he's going to win it. I believe Jalen Hurts is going to make that case in Oklahoma. <laughs> and um, truth be told, uh, I've been hard on my Wolverines since last season, ever since that debacle against Ohio State. And I think every other Michigan fan should generally feel that way. We're sick and tired of just being a 10-11 win team. We want to be 13-4 team. We want a national title. Jim Harbaugh, we we paid him a big contract to come to Michigan out of San Fran to change this or to change this franchise around, to change the program to what it used to be. Now, truth be told, overall for the most part, he has done that. He has, you know, he's done a hell of a lot better compared to Rich Rodriguez or Brady Hoke. Some of the other analysis out there that, you know, for ESPN or Fox Sports or whoever, criticize him saying he's overrated. He ain't overrated. If he was overrated, then we'd be in the same, you know, <laughs> we'd be in the same storm that Rich Rod and Brady Hoke brought in. Just an 8-7 win season. It's a hell of a lot better compared to what we're doing now. We're getting at least 10 wins, not 8 or 7 you know, having an offense revolve around one quarterback who was Denard Robinson. Granted, it was fun to watch him play, but that offense wasn't working, clearly so. I mean, we had a slot wideout playing at quarterback, basically. And with Brady Hoke, we had that one, that one hit wonder where we had a lot of hope. Excuse me. We had a lot of hope and enthusiasm. We thought, man, Brady Hoke, like, coach coming out of, I believe, San Diego State at the time. He turned that program around. We win the Sugar Bowl, we, and we beat Ohio State, and we beat Virginia Tech in the Sugar Bowl. Just like, all right, we have a shot here. But the years kind of started to dwindle. We went from 11, then we just went to 9 eight and then think the year just got worse and so but what's wild about it though is that with Brady Hoke those rivalries with Ohio State were a lot closer so that's the crazy part not I'm not saying Jim Harbaugh hasn't coached some close games against Ohio State he has my the exception of last year where we got our asses kicked 
But for the most part, Harbaugh has done a very exceptional job, except just win the natty. Now, this this is his, what, fifth year? Fourth year? Fifth year, I believe. There's more pressure on him than ever. You know, this is the year. If he loses to Ohio State with Urban Meyer gone, oh my God. He, going 0-4 against Ohio State. Imagine going 0-5 and now with a new coach in Ohio State. I just can't imagine the backlash. And so, he's 2-2 against Michigan State. He's 0-4 against Ohio State. And, man, it's just, I don't know. I I don't know what the hell I would do, to be honest with you. (laughs) But, they got Army this week. Obviously, for those who don't know, me being a veteran, I was in the Army, so I always got to cheer for Army. But now this week, it's the only week I got to, you know, kind of despise them. But, and not only are they, you know, my second favorite college team to support, but to be, be honest with you, I'm very nervous considering the fact that Army's still riding this wave of last season. Last season was their best program finish, uh, finishing in the top 25 ever in program history. Granted, yeah, there were years when they won. They actually won the national title, but there weren't a lot of teams back then turned the 40s and 50s. And the Associated Press and coaches poll wasn't really a thing yet. So for the first time in program history, officially, Army finished in the top 25, and I believe they finished around 23, 24, give or take, beating Navy found the end uh, to end the season. And winning their bowl game. And getting 10, 11 wins, whatever it was. But either way, they ended on a, they ended on a high note. <laughs> Put it that way. I mean, they were able to give me somewhat of solid good closure compared to Michigan. So they were able to heal somewhat of that flesh wound. Now, they're still riding that wave. Start out the season 1-0. Beating Rice 17-10. Granted, Rice isn't regarded as a solid team. They're actually regarded as one of the <laughs> bottom of the barrel teams. And Army only winning by seven. Doesn't look good on paper. But let me tell you why Michigan needs to be concerned about Army. One of the key pivotal things, which, excuse me, it's a double standard. Uh, one of the pivotal things that Army is great at is time of possession. They're, they're not the whole highlight reel throwing the ball, this and that. We all know this. For most people that watch the game, Army's just kind of just a brute force attack on the ground, and that's it. You, you'll get about probably, I don't know, give or take 10, 12 pass attempts from Army at the most. But uh, Army's just straight up, you know, run the ball, and that's it. Uh, there's nothing really special about them. But the fact, I mean, granted, Michigan's defense is solid. <laughs> but any given Saturday or Sunday, uh, Michigan has always played up to their competition. I mean, they've never been the ones to really, I don't know, Michigan just always seems to kind of overlook their competition a little bit. They'll make it close. They'll make a case for their opponent in the first half. 
just like they did Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee started out fresh out the gate. They scored first seven nothing. You, you, you make us Michigan fans worry, especially on a season opener, because we're having flashbacks to Appalachian State doing the same Mickey Mouse bowl, bowl uh, jive like Appalachian State when they won by a field goal. So, either way, <laughs> I was having flashbacks. I don't know about the rest of Michigan fans, but Middle Tennessee, I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Because I believe Michigan was ranked 7th at the time when they lost at Appalachian State. I'm like, oh, great, 12 years later, it's happening all over again. But either way, Michigan was able to pull it off. Uh, First half was somewhat close. Uh, (coughs) Making a case that Middle Tennessee could hold on, but Michigan eventually ended up pulling away. And they put up putting in their backups, you know, Dan McCaffrey, uh, making a few noise here and there, uh, being the future for next season once Shea Patterson is gone. But Army's always, you know, they always had that one particular team on their schedule. They make a case and they make it close. I believe the season, last season or maybe the season beforehand, they had Ohio State, and they made that game close. I know Ohio State ended up pulling it off, but Army always has, excuse me, Army always has that that one that one good fight in them against a very high-ranked opponent, and they make it close. They make it scary. They never really pulled it off. Every once in a great while, they do. So if this is the one of the games that Michigan slips up, this is the game against Army Black Knights. Very cause for concern because their time of possession, <laughs> it's going to be boring. It's not going to be a highlight reel. It's going to be low scoring. But in my heart of hearts, I generally do believe that this game could be close. I'm not saying it's going to be, but it could be. So... Michigan needs to take Army very seriously. They're a very under-the-radar team. I do believe that Army can make another uh, make another goal around and making a bowl again, making a bowl game. I don't think they'll have as good a season compared to last season, but I do believe they can be an 8-9 win team. But we'll see what happens. <clears throat> but with that being said... It's current. Let's turn things over to Alabama. Alabama, uh, another pun, but they roll tied over Duke. Ugh, can't stand that slang. But uh, they did their thing. Duke made a case early, the first half, but then Alabama eventually they turned the notch up. The rest is history. <laughs> they win by like thirty plus. Now, um. What a lot of people, what I don't get is why do people still make the case for the SEC? SEC hasn't been really good in the past 10 years. The Big Ten is a lot tougher. You got Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. (coughs) Excuse me. All these teams are always ranked, at least, they're always ranked in the top 25 every single year. And you got the SEC, 
where it's just Auburn, LSU, and Bama. That's it. I mean, and how can how can Bama fans make a case that it's a quote-unquote rivalry against Tennessee when Tennessee lost their opener against Georgia State University? I don't, I, like, how is that a rivalry? Tennessee hasn't been good in God knows how long. I don't remember Tennessee being good ever since, probably, no, since when Paint, Paint Manning was there back in 98. That was the last time. That was the last time Tennessee was decent. So, we got to rewind the clocks back about two decades. So, I just don't get why people <laughs> make this case. I, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. SEC is just good, but they're not great. I guarantee if you take, you know, you take them to a conference like Big Ten, it'd be a different kind of story. Hell, Bama plays some Mickey Mouse bull jive team around week eight. And then they get a bite and then they face LSU. <laughs> like, really? Who does that? That's like Michigan facing another rinky-dink team week 10, getting a bye, and then facing Ohio State. See, after week 4, week 5, generally most teams, after they you know, maybe had a big game here and there like Oregon or Auburn did on their season opener, then they'll play a few warm-up teams first three weeks, and after that, the rest is conference play. There's no, you know... Citadel week eight, and then hey, let's get a bye, and then let's face LSU. And like I said, man, it, it no one else does that, you know. <coughs> Hell, even I, <coughs> Notre Dame doesn't even do that, and they're not even in a conference. And granted, yes, I get on the conference, and I do believe that they should get in the conference in order to make their case stronger when they want. You know, when they want to make another BCS playoff to make their standards elevate just a little bit more. Because now we're going to have the issue for a long time with Notre Dame being independent and them losing 30-3 to in the first round against Clemson last year. Say they win the rest of their season, right? Now there's going to be a discussion, should they make the playoffs again? Is there a reason why they should be here? Remember, <laughs> remember the same particular scenario last season. It's like, should they make it? Should they be that four seed? It's like they're not even a conference. They don't have to play in a conference championship like Clemson or Bama. You know what I mean? So, who knows? The only, the only legit program that Bama really has to worry about is Georgia. And they don't meet until the end of the season. Conference championship. That's that's usually you know the meetup. <laughs> so, Auburn hasn't been a threat to them since Cam Newton was there. Now LSU, LSU's just they haven't been a threat since really Jamarcus Russell. So I don't know <laughs> whether Bama fans want to admit it or not. Their schedule's always soft. It's weak sauce every single year. It doesn't make sense. And just imagine Michigan or Notre Dame facing Georgia Southern or Citadel, you know, a week prior to Michigan, Ohio State, or getting, no, they're facing a rinky-dink team, 
getting a bye and then facing Ohio State. Or Notre Dame facing a rinky-dink team, getting a bye and then facing Stanford. Things of that nature. You get, you get me? So, so Bama plays into that favor. They always get to favor every single year in that schedule. I don't, I don't get it, but it is what it is. <laughs> Bama fans can admit this and that, but their schedule is always weak. Every single year. <clears throat> For the past six, seven years. But beforehand, I'll give them credit. Their schedule was crazy when the SEC used to be good. Now it's just meh. The toughest conference, without a shadow of a doubt, is the Big Ten. But with that being said, I'm going to take a little break, reflect on this previous UFC uh, pay-per-view, uh, Daniel Cormier and Steve Miocic, and just how impressive that was, and where Nate Diaz goes from here. But with that being said, I'm going to take a quick little break. Y'all are listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Injured Reserve Podcast with your host, me, myself, and I, Mitchell Anderson. So, Stipe Miocic did what other, what one other fighter was able to do to Daniel Cormier's resume. What John Jones was able to do twice, Stipe was able to add another L to Daniel Cormier. So, with this being said, where does Daniel Cormier go from here? Where does Nate Diaz go from here? Well, Nate Diaz called out Jorge Mazadov. So, we'll see how that fight develops. If it happens, I'm sure Dana White will make it happen considering the fact that Nate Diaz did call him out. Daniel Cormier, he's over 40. He's aging. He's getting up there. He even went on record to say, I will see how I feel after the fight, physically, mentally, and if I feel like I can still be here in the octagon. A lot of pressure. It's, I think it's starting to take its toll on Cormier. Or perhaps his love for the sport starting to dwindle since he recently, you know, the passing of his father, hearts and prayers and condolences out to him and his family. And it just goes to show that even in death, it shows how genuine people can be. Even along the likes of John Jones, reaches out to Cormier and, you know, says a few prayers and blessings to him as well. So I think Daniel Cormier, you know, needs to take some time to think. When emotions are high, logic is low. So he's not basing that off anything. It's going to take some time, take some meditation, take some time to prayer, heal up, and we'll see how he feels in about six months. I don't think he'll retire. I think he'll have one more fight, and that'll be it, to be honest with you. As I said, I wanted to see a trilogy between Jones and Cormier, but that only could have happened if Cormier got the W. Now what happens now? I think 
there's going to be a trilogy fight between him and Stipe. Stipe got his immediate rematch. I think it only makes sense that Daniel Cormier, if he wants to make it a retirement ceremony, it's to get one last shot at the title, win, lose, draw, and right off into the sunset. I don't think, something just tells me, my intuition is just telling me that Daniel Cormier, he really doesn't have left that much to prove. He doesn't have to prove anyone, anything. He's beaten, besides John Jones, this man's beaten everyone. You know, he, he, he's, he, it's one and one record between him and Stipe. He's, he's beaten Anderson Silva. <coughs> you know, he's. Beating Anthony Johnson, he's beating Alexander Gustafson, he's beating Antonio Silva, he's beating Josh Barnett. He, his resume, it, without a shadow of a doubt, it's solidified. He's the first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. And I think it's it's one of those things where you see a fighter and you just don't want him to go out. You know, legends tend to die hard. Uh, look at Muhammad Ali. You know, he should have stayed retired after, you know, his first retirement. And that was it. And then he comes back later, two years later, the age of 38, and loses to Larry Holmes. And then the last fight, I can't remember who it was, but the, the last two fights of his career should have never happened. His, his body, he wasn't the Muhammad Ali that we knew. So... Fighters tend to, you know, they don't know when to call it quits. And how could you tell someone to quit? Because they're their own man. They're their own body. It is what it is. But it's just, it's tough to see because, you know, kids today will never know that Anderson Silva as the spider Silva. Like I knew him growing up. Uh, We, kids today won't, won't know... Um, they won't know Fedor Emelianenko like I knew Fedor, the last emperor Emelianenko. Kids today won't know Roy Jones Jr. like I knew Roy Jones Jr. I don't know his nickname, <laughs> but y- y'all know what I'm getting at here. Uh, so they'll just see the highlight reel and they'll be like, "Wow, that was so and so." It's like, yeah, that was the dude that. I watched growing up, so, either way, it's just, it's it's tough to see, it, 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 it sucks getting old, <laughs> truth be told, it sucks getting old, where, you know, the older we get, the older our, our athletes, the people we look up to, the older they get, and their skills diminish every little bit, LeBron James, hey, even Father Time's gonna catch up to him. It could be this year. could be next year. Eventually, he's not going to be... <laughs> he's not going to be the LeBron James that I knew 10 years ago. Excuse me. <clears throat> so, it's like, you know, Kobe Bryant. <laughs> he's not going to be the Kobe Bryant that a lot of kids won't know or be the Black Mamba that I knew 10 years ago. <clears> or <throat> kids back then, you know, 
They see Michael Jordan as Washington Wizards Michael Jordan. They don't see him as I saw Michael Jordan as his heirness, as the GOAT, and why he's the GOAT. And why he was able to score 45 points in the Bulls' 86, Game 6, 98 Finals against the Utah Jazz. And why he was able to will his team to get that W. The flu game. The shot. Things of that nature that made him great. That made him so phenomenal. To make his case. A year where in 1988, arguably, could be the greatest year by any NBA athlete ever. Winning season MVP. Winning the Steels title. Winning the scoring champion. Winning defensive player of the year. I mean, what more can you ask from a guy? (laughs) So, either way, kids today nowadays, they just see the highlight reel. They don't see the full gameplay. They don't see the full breakdown of certain athletes, things of that nature. Daniel Cormier, you can make a case that he's top five. He's top ten. He's got to be, or no doubt. And some people just hate him because, granted, yes, some of the things he said to John Jones was out of line. Some people just hate him because he's passionate. He cried. <laughs> so some people, I know, I encounter some people that hate him because it's like, oh, he cried. It's like, really? And it's like... And these are the same type of people that I've heard or seen cry before. So it's like, it's a double standard. If you're hating on another man because he cries, he's human. We're all human. So, with that being said, we take a quick little break. You all are listening to Andrew Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Injured Reserve Podcast. So, possibly if y'all got any personal agendas, please feel free to voice your opinion. I'm open to any kind of suggestions. Truth be told, (laughs) when it comes to fantasy football, (sighs) I always say the fantasy excuses begin right at the draft. Right, you get so-and-so, you get this and that, and then after week two, three, they get hurt, they're out for the season, and that's it, right? Or there's probability, or whatever, things of that nature. Either way, I had my fantasy draft last night, uh, $20 buy-in. I didn't do one last season, at least, but the, the year prior... Um, I did, I came, God, so close to winning the ship. I came in second, lost in the championship. And my excuse for that was the Rams didn't play Todd Gurley. And that's what hurt my case because they were resting him for the playoffs. Rightfully so, but man, that hurts. (laughs) That, that hurts, but nonetheless. So you got to have a contingency plan. You got to have a widespread uh, offense, uh, wide variety of decent players. They don't, they don't have to be great. They just have to be decent to get you at least 10 points to make a case 
to have a solid season from all my experiences and all my years. Because uh, every once in a while, uh, two years ago, truth be told, if it wasn't for Todd Gurley, uh, I would have never made it that far. Todd Gurley had a phenomenal season where he had, God knows, 1,400, 1,500 yards, I think. Um, and he was grabbing me 30, 40 points a game, damn near close to it. So, in my experience, don't have your team heavily rely on just one player. Because if he gets hurt, you got to have someone that that's able to do at least as half, at least half what he can do. Um, so this year, my draft, who knows? I, I can't tell you, like, dude, my team is stacked. I'm going all the way, bro. No. <laughs> Yeah, give it give it after week one, then you can start compiling your excuses. But my team is okay. Um, I try to look for just kind of under under the radar kind of players. So for those who haven't done it, look out for guys like James Washington. He's going to be the secondary uh, choice for Pittsburgh. AB's gone, so it's going to be Juju Smith Schuster, who's going to be the pivotal guy for that offense when Ben spreading the ball out and James Washington's going to be that secondary option. He was more of a fourth option last year considering the fact that there's AB, Juju, and the tight end Vance McDonald, but now James Washington's going to be that secondary guy that you're going to look out for. So, and personally, my favorite pick that I chose in Granite he he's old as dirt, but man, this dude can still put up points consistently and at least grab you 10, 12 points. Is Frank Gore. Frank Gore, as he's about 33, 34, he's moving up there in that rushing list. But the man can still average four yards a carry. And he's signed with the Buffalo Bills. And they're gonna use him on short yardage situations and for when they need, you know, a solid touch into the touchdown. So that's my pick. Frank Gore's always been a brute force. He's always been kind of a, the older you get, the more he's been more of a, 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 I guess you can say, a key aspect when it comes to short third down conversions or if they need a run up the gut for a touchdown for a quick score, he's still able to do that. The old man, he's getting up there, but man, he can still get seven, 800 yards. He's been able to prove it. His 1,000-yard season was only three years ago, and he was like 32, 31. I mean, the, we all know that they, the age of prime for a running back is very short-lived. Once, the, once they enter the NFL, you know, it's, it's probably 23 at best 30, 23, 24, so about five, six years. Hence why Zeke wanted to get paid. He's going to get 300 touches this year against or with uh, Dallas Cowboys. So that's why he's getting paid 45 mil. Because that offense runs through him and his body's going to take a toll. And he's going to want that guaranteed money to ensure his financial status for the rest of his family or whoever he's taking care of. And plus another 90 mil. <laughs> so... Uh, the age, they, they, the, the, the lifespan of a running back in the NFL isn't, it's, it's, it's not like the prime 
prime rate where you can keep going, you know, at 40 like Tom Brady. So, um, one of the things I've learned is, uh, two years ago is I took Brady and Brady, he's consistent, but it's not, he's not going to put up like big stats. Not like he used to. So you need, you need a quarterback that's going to, to be able to give you big points. Um, I took Patrick Mahomes in the second round right away. I didn't want anyone taking him. Um, so uh, I believe Kansas City has a high-powered offense, and I, I believe that Patrick Mahomes can give me those points. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, they'll get you solid points as well. Uh, you need a you need a quarterback that's you know be able to be a gunslinger and have some uh, guys wideouts that guy give you some big points give you some big plays. When, with Brady, I learned that he's consistent. He'll give you 15 points. If that's something that you don't want your offense to be about in fantasy, uh, if you don't want something big coming out of your quarterback, then go with Brady. He'll be consistent. He's going to be reliable, but he won't give you, you know, 30 points. You want 30 points, get Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. Um, I would say Andrew Luck, but uh, Drew Brees, Things of that nature. Uh, teams that quarterbacks have that one go-to wideout. Um, Tyreek Hill, Michael Thomas, and would uh, Ben Roethlisberger last year would have been AB or Juju. So probably Big Ben as well. But either way, we'll see how that goes. For running backs, uh, running backs, uh, it's pretty simple. Todd Gurley, Shaquan Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott. I got James Conner, uh, so I'm pretty somewhat satisfied. James Conner, Frank Gore. Frank Gore be consistent. He'll get me 10, 12 points. Uh, this is just uh, my assumption. Who knows? Like I said, uh, uh, we'll see after week one because come week two, week three, we'll start the probabilities and IRs, this and that, and the little icons on our players. Like, man, so-and-so's already hurt or out or doubtful or probable or you know same old story for the next 12 weeks until playoff time so James Conner I was able to pick up Marion Jones Jr. I think you know he 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 was one of the stars that came up big for the Lions last year as much as I get on Stafford's case that's Stafford's uh, favorite target so he'll uh, if I had to make a case, I would say he'll get me over a thousand yards this year in Detroit. But we'll see. But with that being said, I hope you all enjoyed my episode this morning. Uh, have a great week. I uh, hope everyone had a great Labor Day weekend. Um, you know, please feel free to give me your input, your position, your whatever on fantasy, on games. I'm still addicted to Days Gone. Uh, if y'all haven't heard my review, it's in my previous episode, Days Gone, 8 out of 10, 7.5, whatever you want to say. I I think I gave it a 7.5, but I would have to do a reanalysis and give it an 8 out of 10. The more I play this game, the more uh, fun I have with it, the more... Cr- just the, the story in general is phenomenal. So if you want a good story game, it's going to last you quite a minute. Uh, I've put probably at least 40 hours into this game now, 
and I'm not even close to being done. So, um, but either, uh, but nonetheless, uh, this week is NBA 2K week, by the way, less than a few days away. I believe it comes out this weekend. I definitely got that in order in the Legend Edition of Dwayne Wade, one of my all-time favorite NBA players. So I'll definitely cop that up. But either way, this is Injured Reserve Podcast with your host, Mitchell Anderson. I appreciate y'all listening in, coming back. Again, I apologize for being so late, super late. Uh, just with school, I got to do some homework again today. So, And school's back here in Mount Pleasant, Central Michigan. They got their first dub against Albany, so, uh, with that being said, uh, y'all listen to Injured Reserve Podcast, please coming back, I appreciate y'all's support, y'all have a great day, God bless.